Hello all, and welcome to episode one of the podcast. This is, and indeed I am, the Dream Filter. A contrived introduction? Yes, I suppose it is. In this episode, we will discuss the religion of naturalism, the belief system that we must have a so-called natural explanation for the creation of the universe and our very existence. I do not seek to debunk it, but rather to emphasize that it's just one of many religions to gain traction across the globe. Granted, it's currently very influential and is the official state religion across the West. It also has followers in many non-Western countries. The state-sponsored research lackeys of the so-called scientific community are broadly commissioned with a dual task. To cram this unproven, unprovable theory down the collective throat of the public and coat it with a layer of Teflon to make it seem like the only rational, the only scientific religion available to choose from. PR aside, make no mistake about it, the agenda-driven, highly orthodox practice of confirmation bias is just as prevalent among the Darwinist fraternity as it is across any assemblage of the faithful. Many practitioners of this modern, regimented belief system think they need only to utter the word science in order to sweep away any thought of debate. This is their first line of defense. But how many of the brethren would be able to elaborate if pressed for specific information? It's a rhetorical question. The straightforward, undeniable truth, obvious to any person with a modicum of intellectual integrity, is that nobody, nobody has a monopoly on the story of why we are here, or how it all began. One can believe this or believe that. As for myself, I am a Christian, but I am not here to sell you my religion. Yes, I believe that I know where we came from and why we are here. So too does the Hindu, the Muslim, the naturalist, the Buddhist, and so on. The only true unconstrained non-religious person in all probability is the sincere, open-minded agnostic. It would be counterproductive at such an early point for me to tell you about myself. You don't care who I am and are not interested in anything about me. The feeling is mutual. All I will tell you now is that I detest my nation but love my home. Society is rotten from top to bottom, from bottom to top. In fact, if I think too hard about it, the urge to vomit will overpower me. And yet we live on a magnificent planet my place of origin among the most beautiful. This is in no way to put oneself onto a pedestal, for I am human after all, no better than anyone else. That's why I have a role model that I believe is the only perfect person to have ever lived. But my emulation of his example has left much to be desired. Any mortal who would put him or herself on a pedestal for whatever reason, our world is full of such people, especially in Western countries, is a great encapsulation of what is so terribly wrong with humanity. Anyone who is confident of his or her own sense of superiority, certain of the unchallenged predominance of their religion, ideology or blind faith in the state-subsidized underling flunkies of the scientific community, has been brainwashed. In fact, they've been proselytized beyond hope. It's too late. They can't be helped. If you are such a person, please switch off now, goodbye, and best of luck. The historical pedophilia scandal in the Catholic Church is unquestionably sordid, sick, and evil. I'm sure you feel the same. But here's a question. 
Do you feel equally angry when there is systematic pedophilia from a secular foundation? Or do you only get angry when the child abuse was carried out within a religious one? I refer you to a good, well-researched, if sloppily proofread article at UK establishment outlet, The Guardian. From 11th May 2010, by a blogger named Andrew Brown, it's titled, Catholic Child Abuse in Proportion. Many Catholic priests and religious have abused children in their care. But is the church's record worse than the world's? We now read. There seems to be no ends to the scandals buffeting the Roman Catholic Church about the abuse of children, most recently in Germany, where the headmaster a school, sick, associated with a choir once run by the Pope's elder brother George Ratzinger, has been exposed as an abuser. And there is no doubt that a lot of children were damaged for life by priests, and that this was mostly covered up by the hierarchy until recently. But was the Catholic Church unfairly singled out? Aren't all children vulnerable to exploitation, especially when they are poor and unwanted? Dot, dot, dot. The Catholic figures show that between about 4% of priests and deacons, sick, serving in the U.S. between 1950 and 2002 had been accused of sexual abuse of someone under 18. In this country, the figure was a tenth of that, 0.4%. But whereas the victims in the general population are overwhelmingly female, the pattern among American Catholic priests was quite different. Four out of five of their victims were male. Most were adolescents. Two out of five were 14 or over. 15% were under 10. This is vile, but whether it is more vile than the record of any other profession is not obvious. The concentration on boys makes the Catholic pattern of abuse stand out. What makes it so shocking is that parents trusted their children with priests. They stood in for the parents. But this isn't all that different from the pattern in the wider world either, where the vast majority of abuse comes from within families. The other point that makes the Catholic abuse is that it is nowadays very widely reported. It may be the best reported crime in the world. That too tends to skew perceptions. There are, however, some fragments of figures from the outside world suggesting that not many professions do better. Last year, it was reported that half of the girls fostered in social democratic Sweden in the 50s and 60s had been abused, according to Camilla batman Galedir. 550,000 children are reported to the social services in this country every year. Emphasis mine? Dot, dot, dot. Certainly the safeguards against pedophilia in the priesthood are now among the tightest in the world. That won't stop a steady trickle of scandals, but I think that objectively your child is less likely to be abused by a Catholic or Anglican priest in the West today than by members of almost any other profession. End of article. The first sick was because of an omitted word, the second because of unnecessary inclusion of the word between. When I emphasised in this country, the nation in question was of course Great Britain or the UK. I know there's a difference, but I don't care what it is. Anyway, do you agree with me that all pedophilia is bad? Or do you agree with most of mainstream media that religious pedophilia is bad, but secular pedophilia good? We move on from this unsavoury topic. Religion has historically been used as a means of control. The monotheistic variety, to which my own faith is definitely counted, has not been alone in this misuse of faith. 
but has definitely been prevalent. The most current and extreme incarnation of this tendency is naturalism, the religion that removes the need for any form of deity, with his inevitable list of do's and don'ts, thus creating a vacuum that allows the state itself, with all its tentacles, to assume the role of God. Do you think that Darwinism is the ultimate one? The one that will stick? Every other religion comes and goes but yours. Evolution as the origin of life. Out of all the thousands of faiths, this is the one. Here's the difference between independent-minded people like myself and people that have been totally indoctrinated by the state. I know that my faith is one of numerous different varieties that people hold, or have held, across the globe. Practitioners of other faiths are just as convinced of the validity of what it is they believe as I am about what I do. But I don't think myself superior, and I don't believe that any religions should be banned. There are people around us. Maybe you know one. Maybe you were one. Still are one. Or are somewhere in between. People so thoroughly programmed by the state that they think their religion, naturalism, is the only legitimate belief that people can or should have. They think it's here to stay forever. History, always changing, discarding, modifying, questioning, relegating old concepts, ideas and presuppositions, will now stay put forever with their naturalist religion. There are people who think that all religions besides theirs should be banned, that only their one should be taught in schools. We have all come across such people, I dare say. They are very dangerous and irrational. I shall now reiterate an important point. I'm not here to debunk a single thing. If you are a moderate naturalist who hasn't been brainwashed into a false sense of your own superiority, you're no different from people like me. I don't criticize a single religion. It's the fanatics that are no good. Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, naturalism, and so on. We all have unsavory, bad actors within our ranks. There are certainly some Christians that sully the image of the broader faith. The most brazen, hateful religious fanatics in Western civilization today, however, come from naturalism. But let's not tar all with the same brush. Most people who believe in the naturalist hypothesis on our origins are undoubtedly reasonable, peaceful people. And yet, some are not. Moreover, those not are particularly brazen because such people are empowered by the government media complex, otherwise known as the establishment. Thus, they can get away with brash, illogical proclamations like, all religions should be abolished. Right. Abolish all religion except for theirs. How noble. There's a similar sentiment which you may have heard parroted by an angry atheist at one time or another. Science flies man to the moon, religion flies them into buildings. Yes, the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001 were carried out by evil religious zealots. Undoubtedly. The slogan, however, is tacky and a cheap way for a Darwinist supremacist to share their hatred of anyone that doesn't subscribe to their belief. So, here's one I made up myself. Religion gave us Mother Teresa, science gave us Dr. Mengele. It's easy to make up cheap, tacky slogans, is it not? Another one is that religion is the cause of all wars. This one is often parroted, as staggeringly dumb as it is. The most genocidal ideology of all time, officially, is communism, an atheist ideology. Evolution as the origin of life, of course, is an atheist religion. Over 100 million were murdered by communism. 
The second most genocidal ideology of all time is fascism. Tens of millions murdered. Fascism certainly had elements of atheism at its core. But I don't believe it is accurate or fair to simply say that Hitler was an atheist. Likewise, some try to make the totally baseless, ill-conceived claim that Hitler was a Christian, which, quite simply, does not gel with basic facts. He was undeniably influenced by the theory of evolution, as conceived by Charles Darwin, but was also influenced by Christianity in early life before he rejected it. Overall, he could be far better described as a pagan than an atheist or Christian, but even this is a little simplistic. No matter what your stripes, I would encourage you to stay away from the kind of bigotry in which one may take the liberty to attach their favorite boogeyman onto the end of the sentence. Hitler was a... From such a conclusion, it's all too easy to work backwards, cherry-pick, distort, or take out of context pieces of info to fit your predetermined, superficial worldview, what is known as confirmation bias. For a broader perspective, from a secular outlet, I read from an article at ABC Online, that's ABC Australia. From April 12, 2012, by Samuel Kurzer, it's titled, Hitler's Faith, The Debate Over Nazism and Religion. For the sake of context, you should be aware that it was published a week after a Q&A session on ABC TV. Atheist prophet Richard Dawkins on one side of the debate, later to be disgraced Cardinal George Pell, who would be accused and convicted, but ultimately acquitted of child abuse, on the other. Let's dive into this thing. Dot, dot, dot. Pell argued that Nazism and Stalinism were the two great atheist movements of the last century. Dawkins responded that while Stalin was an atheist, Hitler was not. However, they both agreed that Hitler represented the personification of social Darwinism, brackets Pell, or that certain of what he tried to achieve arose out of Darwinian natural selection, brackets Dawkins. Part of this to and fro was certainly the kind of argument that often arises in contemporary debates, often through a process one could think of as Nazification. One disputant involved in a debate on any given topic attempts to associate their opponent's views with the Nazis. It is the kind of thing that one could summarize in a sloganistic t-shirt. I'm okay, you're a fascist. Brackets with an arrow pointing to the far right. But how could there be such opposing views when it comes to Nazism and atheism? People may not generally realize it, but the divergence of opinion between Pell and Dawkins reflects deep divisions among historians themselves as to what the Nazis believed about religion. Nazism itself was consistently a racial ideology, and Ian Kershaw noted in his definitive biography of Hitler that one of the few things we can be certain about is that from the start of his political career to the bitter end, Hitler adhered to anti-Semitism based on race theory. When we look to religion, however, there is little agreement. The three main schools of thought are that the Nazis adhered to neo-paganism, that their ideology itself formed a political religion, or that they advocated a particular form of Christianity. The argument that the Nazis were pagans derives from the fact they arose from the ultra-nationalist folkish movement in Germany, which had a bizarre range of esoteric and mystical religious notions. Hitler was certainly aware of the ideas of one of the most influential authors, Guido von Liszt, who sought to rediscover the lost wisdom of the Amanen, supposedly a high caste of the priesthood of the pagan god Wotan, brackets, or Odin. He proposed to do so principally through runes and Norse poetry like the Edda. 
In fact, when the Nazis first celebrated Christmas in Munich, brackets in 1920, they did so as a solstice celebration. And the report of the event in their own newspaper noted that the dire situation in which Germany found itself had been prophesied in the Edda and in the teachings of the Amanen in ancient times. They were referring here to passages on the apocalyptic Ragnarok or Twilight of the Gods in the poetic Edda. Brackets, people might not have thought that Hellboy had much basis in fact, but Ragnarok also made an appearance in the official commentary on the Nazi program. But did Hitler adhere to such ideas? In one of the most complete speeches we have of Hitler's from 1920, he made direct references to some of Liszt's concepts and argued that all Aryans built cults of light wherever they had founded civilizations in the world. Hitler included any use of the swastika sticker brackets, the Nazi sun wheel, counting pagan runes in Europe, Hindu temples in India, and Buddhist temples in Japan among such cults of light. In the same speech, he disparaged the Bible as too Jewish. One thing is for certain, that no anti-Semite wrote it. Yet, at the end of August 1920, he argued the Nazis supported every Christian activity and promoted Nazism as a gospel of German revitalization. This latter statement and its ilk have led to the argument that Nazism itself was a political religion, drawing people into a movement of political faith through the use of rallies and rituals that created a secular kind of liturgical experience. Racist ideology was something that all Nazis held in common, and there were certainly ideas of forming a new cult in some writings and speeches from party members. Though a good deal of the arguments rests on the manner in which Hitler wrote on religion and political faith in Mein Kampf. Dot, dot, dot. Which brings us to the third perspective. Was Hitler a Christian? Emphatically not, if we consider Christianity in its traditional or orthodox form. Jesus as the Son of God, dying for the redemption of the sins of all humankind. It is a nonsense to state that Hitler, brackets, or any of the Nazis, adhered to Christianity of this form. The idea of universal salvation through Christ dying on the cross, the core concern of the recent celebration of Easter, was complete anathema to the Nazis, who adhered to salvation by race rather than grace. However, it is equally true that there were leading Nazis who adhered to a form of Christianity that had been Aryanized. Overall, one could argue that all the leading Nazis measured religion by a series of racial hurdles, meaning that Jesus could not be Jewish, he had to be Aryan, a heroic fighter, not a passive sacrifice. The Old Testament had to be rejected and the New Testament purged. In handwritten notes, Hitler also argued for a critical review of the Bible to discover what sections met an Aryan spirit. In these same notes, he took a biogenetic history as the main biblical emphasis, arguing that original sin was solely racial degeneration, sin against the blood. Dot, dot, dot. That said, Hitler often did argue in favor of the notion of a creator, a deity whose work was nature and natural laws, conflating God and nature to the extent that they became one and the same thing. This again came back to race and meant that he argued in Mein Kampf that one could not avoid the commands of eternal nature or the almighty creator. In that I defend myself against the Jew, I am fighting for the work of the Lord. For this reason, some recent works have argued Hitler was a deist. He famously argued in a major speech of 1938 that Nazism was a folkish political doctrine that grew out of exclusively racist insights and was based on the sharpest scientific knowledge. 
Yet in the same speech he stated the Nazi cult was solely one which respected nature and so that which was divinely ordained. Was Hitler an atheist? Probably not, but it remains very difficult to ascertain his personal religious beliefs and the debate rages on. He was an astute propagandist which makes distinguishing rhetoric from reality all the more difficult. What historians continually confirm is that Hitler developed an absolute faith in two things, an extreme form of nationalism and himself. End of article. If you feel that you can pinpoint one belief system, faith or ideology that Hitler identified with above all else, and it's coincidentally something that you dislike, your conclusion was not reached by a sound open mind, but of one heavily influenced by bigotry. If you wish to read it all for yourself, the piece is available at www.abc.net.au slash religion slash Hitler's hyphen faith hyphen the hyphen debate hyphen over hyphen Nazism hyphen and hyphen religion slash 1010614. From the genocide of communism and fascism, the former an atheist crime, the latter not necessarily so, we move on to an isolated incident, the Sutherland Springs church shooting in Texas, USA. On November 5th, 2017, angry atheist and Darwinist supremacist Devin Patrick Kelly, who was heavily armed, walked into the aforementioned church and murdered 26 people in cold blood, including several children. 20 people were wounded. His atheist beliefs, which he widely promoted on social media platforms, were heavily downplayed, if not completely overlooked by mainstream media. All religions have the blood of countless innocent people on their hands. Undeniable. But atheism has ownership over what is far and away the most genocidal ideology of all time. So I tell you what, let's just agree that all ideologies, religions, etc. have their bad apples. If any of you happen to be an atheist, Darwinist, naturalist, whatever you like to call yourself, you should accept my compromise because if you seek an argument about who has more blood on their hands, you simply don't stand a chance. Alternatively, switch off and all the best. Let's briefly consider the core aspect of science. There are many definitions to be found, but almost all of them contain the word nature or natural. To be sure, there are many components of science and its view of the natural world that have nothing to do with religion and are perfectly legitimate. It is when this focus on naturalism is shifted over to an attempted explanation of our origins that naturalism becomes religion. Friends, the naturalist religion is impossible to prove, just as all other religions are. The Big Bang is unproven and unprovable, just like the theory of evolution formulated by Charles Darwin. And it doesn't matter how stacked the scientific community is with biased, state-funded lab coats who will hype up any shred of evidence to bolster the state religion and systematically downplay or ignore evidence that may contradict it. No one has a monopoly on the story of our origins. So then, what should be taught in state schools? The naturalist fundamentalist has one simple demand, i.e. their own religion should be the only one taught in schools. But how about this for a fairer, more intelligent solution? What about we teach intelligent design in addition to the Big Bang slash Darwinism? Not only do I suggest your religion can stay, but also that intelligent design could be taught in a neutral manner that is not partial to any particular creator or god. 
Alternatively, you could omit both of them from the curriculum altogether and leave such contentious matters up to the parents. I know. I know this would not sit well with Darwinist extremists who simply must have a monopoly on the story of our origins, even without any legitimate claim to it at all. The irony of such people is that, paradoxically, they claim to hate religion. In actual fact, they really don't. They just hate all religions except for theirs. In this ironic manner, they perfectly encapsulate everything which they say they hate. I admit freely that I've come across several sections of the Bible that I struggle to get my head around and seem like a bit of a stretch, such as the logistics of Noah's Ark. With such passages, I simply choose to believe. I choose faith, rightly or wrongly. But I'll tell you one thing. There are things even more seemingly implausible than Noah's Ark. Let's touch on the Big Bang. What banged? Nothing banged. Oh, I see. Hmm. Cause and effect, anyone? As for the bang itself, we're told we must believe that a massive quantity of atoms and other particles somehow squashed into the size of something no bigger than a full stop on a page. It exploded. Then the universe was born. People, if Noah's Ark could be described as implausible, then I would label this Big Bang. I don't know how I'd label it. A bit of a stretch, to put it very, very mildly. Essentially, everything, whatever everything was or how it existed in the first place, was crammed into a full stop before it rapidly expanded, then slowly but surely turned into all of this and all of us. Just because. Enough said. An open mind must boggle at what, to be perfectly frank, are the colossal logistical problems to be explained away or ignored before this theory can be adopted. Then there's the issue of how living organisms could form out of non-living matter. But, oh yeah, just utter the magical catchphrase, science, and your work is done. You've won the debate. By the way, who was there to observe all of this? How can it be demonstrated? Oh yeah, that's right. Science. End of discussion. The idea that belief in a creator is the opposite of science is an artificial construct peddled by Darwinist supremacists. Without a doubt, science, that is to say, the scientific community, could be used as a tool to promote belief in God every bit as much as it can be, and is used as a vehicle to promote the Big Bang, as well as Darwinism within the highly ideological, orthodox, regimented, scientific community. Friends, those who say they believe in evolution as the origin of life because of science, media people included, merely regurgitate a lazy catchphrase in a slothful endeavor to prop up their religion. Did you know that there are half a dozen types of evolution that are generally bundled up together by most people into one single lump? Only one of these, microevolution, which can confirm changes within the same kind of species, is truly observable, truly demonstrable, truly scientific. And no, I don't claim here that all the other kinds are categorically false, only that all of them are unproven and unprovable concepts, and ultimately religious in nature. To explore this reality in more detail, I recommend you check out a six-part audiovisual presentation by Eric Hovind, available online. The series is titled Beginnings and is admittedly from a strong procreation standpoint. While his derisive style and Christian leaning may not be your cup of tea, 
His point is indisputable. Creationism and what is loosely called evolution are both religious worldviews. This particular podcast, this inauguration of the Dream Filter, has been one of a two-part focus on the religion of naturalism. The topic is a no-brainer, and from my perspective, not particularly interesting to talk about. It provides no great satisfaction to have to remind people that 2 plus 2 is 4, not, as this world would have us believe, something else, like 5. After episode 2, I'll be more than done with this topic, and we'll move on to something else. But I'd invite you to come back next week so we can close the topic out. That is all for today. Remember, question everything, do your own research, keep a healthy, open mind, and above all, never forget, you've been given an intellect, so use it. Until next week, or never again, or perhaps even something in between, goodbye.